Chapter 7, Part 3 of Tales of a Vanishing River. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Hirsch. Tales of a Vanishing River by Earl H. Reed. The Turkey Club. During her second day's visit to Hyder Alley, a mysterious and indefinable thrill had crept into Sophie's sterile heart. She pondered much over the resistless fascination that the bird exercised over her, and suddenly became obsessed with the idea that this was possibly the reincarnation of a soulmate that she might have had in some far-off previous existence somewhere in the star-swept eons that were gone, that had drifted through the ages in various forms, until predestination had again brought them face to face. She had a hazy idea of the theory of reincarnation, but she had an instinctive feeling that, if there was anything of that sort, this was probably it, and a long, lost affinity was before her. The loose wires in her upper story that Rat Hyatt had mentioned at the turkey shoot began to rattle hopelessly on the subject of the white gobbler. Into her mind there came a desperate resolve to acquire that bird, by fair means or foul. All of her persistence, and every form of artifice and cunning of which she was capable, would thenceforth be devoted to that end. After Hyder Alley had sojourned a week in Posey's pen, attended with adoration, and fed with selected worms, cornmeal, mush, and other dainties by the faithful Sophie, Mr. Flaherty came with his little spring wagon and took him away. He said that the man who was to keep him for Mr. Verney had returned home, but he did not say where he lived. Thus was Hyder Alley dangled temptingly before the turkey club, and tantalizingly whisked from sight. Varney was eagerly questioned when he came again, but his manner was very reserved. He seemed willing to talk volubly on any subject but the gobbler, the only thing anybody wanted to hear about. He finally said that he had paid three hundred dollars for the bird and intended to exhibit him at the county fairs in various parts of the state during the fall, charging a small admission fee to make it profitable. Sophie was anxious to know if he would sell the bird, and, after talking it all over with her, the reluctant Josh consented to a grand raffle for the turkey, provided three hundred chances could be sold at one dollar each. He felt that exhibiting the bird around the county might be a good deal of a job, although he regarded it as a fine thing from a financial point of view. If he was to part with Hyder Alley, he would rather that he would remain with his friends along the river, as he was very fond of all of them, and they might talk over the county fair idea later. It was agreed that when all of the chances were sold, the drawing should be held under the auspices of the Turkey Club in the yard back of Posey's store, where Hyder Alley was to be brought. Numbered tickets, corresponding to the names in Sophie's sales book, 
were to be deposited in a hat. Josh Varney, as the owner of the turkey, was to hold the hat. Sophie was to be blindfolded and to draw forth tickets one by one until the contents of the hat were exhausted. They were to be handed to somebody else who would call off the numbers and cancel them in the book. The last ticket in the hat was to win Hyder Alley. The chances were all sold within a week, some purchasers taking as many as a dozen. Just before the supply was gone, Josh and his friend Flaherty each took ten, and the book was declared closed. Sophie was only able to buy seven, but she hoped that they would be sufficient for her purpose. Every able-bodied person, and some who were not, who lived within ten miles and could by any means get to the store, was there on the day of the drawing. Hyder Alley arrived in his perforated box and was reinstalled in the chicken yard, where he walked about in lonely majesty, while his destiny was in the balance, the cynosure of many anxious and coveted eyes. A platform had been improvised with four big dry-goods boxes in the yard, high enough for everybody to see what was going on. Mr. Varney stood on it and announced the conditions. He acknowledged the receipt of the proceeds of the raffle, and stated that the bird now belonged to the winner. The three hundred numbered tickets were then produced by Sophie. She handed them to Varney to deposit in the ancient plug hat that Pop Wilkins had obligingly loaned for the occasion, in accordance with time-honored custom. Pop, with the sun reflecting from his bald head, stood on the platform, adjusted his brass-rimmed spectacles, and made ready to call off the cancellations. Varney ran through the tickets several times and counted them to see if they were all there. His numbers were from 281 to 290. He mixed the tickets over thoroughly inside the hat with his hand, and the blindfolded Sophie began drawing. She had carefully bent all of her own tickets in such a way as to enable her to identify them by touch, and had no doubt that she would own Hyder Alley within the next twenty minutes. There was excited buying and selling at big premiums of numbers remaining in the hat as the contest narrowed down, and there were frequent delays in the drawing to accommodate the speculators. Six of Sophie's tickets had come out. None of them were bent, and cold chills raced up and down her spine. Her agile and nervous fingers had carefully avoided a well-bent ticket near one side of the grimy interior of the hat. When she drew out a flat ticket next to it, she learned, to her horror, that it was her last number. With a faint heart she reached for the other, hoping that there had been some error in her count, but the last ticket was number 294, and it belonged to Mr. Flaherty. It was evident to her that the wily Josh had discovered the bent tickets, and while he was handling them over inside the hat, he had managed to straighten them all and bend Flaherty's. Whatever other artifice Josh might have had in reserve 
had he not discovered the bunch of bent tickets, will always be a mystery. But he certainly had no intention of leaving Hyder Alley in the river country. Sophie removed the handkerchief, under which she had found no difficulty in peeking during the drawing, and looked upon Josh. Human eyes have seldom glittered with the venomous and deadly glow that he now saw in Sophie's orbs. Such eyes might have blazed through a labyrinth in a jungle upon one who had seized a tiger cub. Backed by courage, the look would have portended murder. Sophie at once realized the hopelessness of her position, for no specious protest was possible. She had encountered an adept in an art in which she was but a tyro. It was all over, and she was compelled to smother her impotent wrath. To the crowd, ignorant of the little drama on the platform, everything had seemed entirely regular. None of them had ever had a ghost of a chance of getting the turkey, but they were good-natured losers. Pop Wilkins carefully restored the old stovepipe hat to his shining dome, while regretting that he had not won Hyder Alley, and that that remarkable bird from foreign lands was not to remain in the community, he declared that there was now nothing to do but congratulate the winner. "'That's what we done at the turkey shoot last year,' remarked Bill in an undertone, as we watched the perforated box being loaded onto Flaherty's spring wagon. Varney tactfully refrained from assisting in the loading." I hate to part with that bird, he declared, but business is business, and there he goes. Sophie continued to look upon him with a steely and viperous glare, but he did not appear to notice her. They each knew that the other thoroughly understood the situation, and there were no ethics that were debatable. Sophie knew that Flaherty was a man of straw, and that she had been skillfully robbed of the fruits of her chicanery. Varney regarded her discomfiture with the generous benevolence of a victor. Sophie believed that all moral logic, and every other kind of logic, entitled her to Hyder Alley. She considered that in addition to the loss of the bird, she had been swindled out of the seven dollars she had paid for her worthless chances. She justified her own dishonesty to herself by the conviction that she had worked hard enough for the club to have the turkey anyway, and as long as some ticket had to be left until the last, it might just as well be hers as anybody's. It was all a matter of chance anyway, and, as it turned out, it would have been much better for everybody if Hyder Alley could have been kept in the neighborhood with her instead of being taken away. She considered that she had suffered a great injustice, and that a defenseless woman should thus be robbed and maltreated was to her the acme of outrage. Varney had his own rig with him, and left for the county seat soon after Flaherty and his spring wagon had departed in an opposite direction. The precious pair was gone, with Hyder Alley, and two hundred and eighty dollars of tangible profits.
a melodious gobble was faintly heard far away on the road while flaherty was still in sight it might have been a wail of sorrow and farewell i s'pose remarked bill that hyder alley's yellin for help he's probably afraid them two jaybirds'll send em back to them rummins and that bungspout swami fishnet man in india where he'll get his crop chilled with them frozen frogs but he needn't worry i didn't buy no chances for i didn't think there'd be any show for a white man with josh and sophie up in them boxes and they wasn't i thought they was gonna be something doin when i seen sophie i and josh she looked like she wanted to squirt some lye at em sophie's got a bad eye she could sour a pan of milk that's twenty feet off by just lookin at it in a certain way them cupies have finished the cookin this time and we're done good and brown i don't think they'll be round any more lest josh comes to sell us a striped elephant next year and if he does i s'pose we'll buy it i don't think we wanted that mosquito-fatted bird anyway he didn't look to me like he was healthy sophie was ill for a couple of weeks and visited the store but rarely during the rest of the summer she looks like she's been licked observed rat hyatt she don't seem to have no pep any more i met her on the bridge the other day and when i spoke to her she answered as nice and polite as anybody instead of looking at me like i was a skunk and passing on the way she used to do during the latter part of august sophie chanced to see a copy of a weekly paper that was published in a small town about fifty miles away in it was an announcement of a grand raffle to be held the following week for a wonderful white turkey imported from siberia at great expense the like of which has never been seen or heard of in this country the article went on to say that this is a great event that is about to take place in our midst and ye editor blushingly owns to the soft impeachment of having taken ten chances with his hard-earned pelf we hope to win this splendid prize but if we fail we respectfully ask anybody who is in arrears on their subscription to please call at our holy editorial sanctum with some mazuma for though ye ed toys with the trailing skirts of fickle fortune yet must eat sophie kept her own counsel and prevailed on pop wilkins to lend her his horse and two-seated buggy for a few days to enable her to visit a sick relative who lived some distance away she was gone a week and when she returned hyder alley was in the buggy his beautiful head protruded inquiringly from the top of a gunny sack in which he was carefully secured sophie drove home with her prize returned the rig to the obliging pop and walked loftily into the store on her way back to make some purchases she was a changed woman and victory was on her brow she greeted the loiterers about the store but as posey expressed it she spoke from above naturally the neighborhood was in a ferment of curiosity how'd you get em asked bill pleasantly i caught em on a fish line she replied grimly 
Beyond this she refused any explanations, and her attitude was regarded as the height of cruelty. She said it was nobody's business but her own, and no further light was thrown on the subject. Early in the fall a band of gypsies came and camped on a grassy glade in the woods, not far from where Sophie lived. They remained several weeks. The men traded horses with the nearby farmers, and the women went about the neighborhood in their picturesque costumes, begged small articles, and told fortunes. One morning Sophie was horrified to find that Hyder Alley was gone. She at once suspected the gypsies and rushed to their camp, but the Romani folks had departed. She found a long white feather on the ground that undoubtedly had come from her cherished bird. She at once enlisted all the help she could get. The assistance of the sheriff was invoked, and the trail of the gypsies was taken by a large party. They were located about fifteen miles away. Thorough search revealed no trace of the missing property. The gypsies were confronted with the telltale feather, but denied all knowledge of it. There seemed to be nothing further to do, and the matter was dropped by the sheriff. In November, just before the annual turkey shoot, Mr. Roscoe Plunkett, of the firm of Plunkett and Mott, whose goods Varney had sold for several years, came to Posey's store to check up on their account. He said that his firm had suffered considerable losses through the shady and sinuous methods of Varney, and that he was no longer with them. They had delved deep into his history before he came to them and found that he had a rancid past. It was checkered with a couple of jail confinements, but he had managed in each case to obtain his freedom after trial. He had been a champion rifle shot and had given exhibitions of trick shooting in a Wild West show for a year or two. Of late, he had been mixed up with a man named Flaherty. They had found a farmer in the southern part of the state who had an albino turkey, one of those rare freaks of nature due to deficient pigmentation. It was a beautiful gobbler of abnormal size. They bought the bird for $25, and since that time they had been going around the country raffling it off. One of them had always won it. During the previous week, a friend of Plunkett's, who was a commercial traveler, had written him that he had met Varney in Michigan, and that Flaherty and the white turkey were with him. This new light on the general cussedness and dark ways of Josh Varney came too late to be of any benefit to Sophie. She had gone to live with some relatives in a small town in Iowa, taking her illusions and her bitter hatreds with her. Her henpecked husband had mercifully been relieved of his earthly troubles, but this had not seemed to disturb her as much as her other afflictions. She had become completely disgusted with her surroundings, and had sought new fields for her restless propensities. "'It's too bad Josh don't know she's a widow,' remarked Bill. "'For them two might get married now if they wanted to.' Bill labored long in lettering out the notice of the next annual turkey shoot, which he tacked up in the store. There was a full attendance when the day came. 
the weather was again pleasant the bloodletting was satisfactory and no untoward incident marred the joy of the occasion when the shooting was over bill pounded officially on a barrel top and called the business meeting to order the first thing to be done at this meetin is to elect a new chief gobbler for this one has now resigned this chair has quit and now pays its parting respects to all the members i say now that this chair has been blasphemed and jumped on for five years nothing has ever been done right everybody has cussed the chair right and left and the chair has never peeped or said a word back in quitting this honorable office this chair now makes answer to all them sore heads that's been criticizing it for all these years and that answer is bah now we'll proceed to nominations for the chair's successor a voice i nominate mr bill stiles for the ensuing year and i move it be made unimus the chair is there no other nominations another voice i nominate mr josh varney and i move it be made unimus chorus of cat calls a voice from the rear i move that the chair stop smoking when it's presiding and i move we adjourn the chair if that feller back there thinks he can run this meeting better than it's being done let him come up in front this chair's gonna do its smoking while it's alive instead of waitin till afterwards like some people we gotta have some dignity about this thing and you fellers keep quiet now who makes any more nominations after some further parliamentary bickering the reluctant bill was duly re-elected as usual now he continued having got this terrible weight off on our chests the next business will be the election of a new boss for sophie perkins has left us she's gone way off summers where the winds are blowing and she'll never come back mr posey has been suggested for new secretary and treasurer does anybody nominate him he'd be a good man to take in the money but he'd make a hell of a secretary shouted somebody in the crowd never mind does somebody nominate him continued bill how do you know sophie'll never come back demanded another voice from the rear how do i know how do i know anything shut up replied the chair with asperity mr posey modestly declined his impending honors but was elected the next business announced bill is the report of the chair on the case of mr josh varney some of you probably faintly recollect of his having been among us some time ago he then related the story of plunkett revealed the sins of varney in all their sable hues and commented caustically on the soft-headedness of the victims of that artful tactician all you fellows has just been as easy marks for josh as them ten turkeys in them boxes was a year ago some day we may catch the professor but knowin him as i do i don't believe we will he bruised a lot of gold shekels out of this bunch with that pale fowl and besides he made us feel bad mr rat hyatt was now recognized by the chair for years said rat all of us has called sophie perkins the stinger 
and she was a stinger. But I now move you, Mr. Chairman, that that title be hereby shifted off on her and put on that pink-eyed turkey man. The motion was unanimously carried and ordered spread upon the records that Sophie had left at the store. The meeting then adjourned. As we left, I casually mentioned the fine weather we were having. Yes, it's been a phenomenous year, replied Bill thoughtfully. End of chapter 7, part 3 Recording by Tom Hirsch